Turn in your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 6. Tonight we're just going to look at two verses, verses 15 and 16. We have three, well including this week, I guess we have three more weeks in Romans chapter 6. This is a three-part series titled, Whose Slave Are You? So we finish out this chapter Listen here as I read these two verses. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness. A curious thing has begun in the Cushman house. As we parent our son Malachi, we have this little routine, this little saying that uh, uh, we do with Malachi, both Aaron and I, uh, as we give him a command or tell him to do something and he balks at it, we say, well, Malachi, you have to obey Daddy because Daddy obeys the Lord. And so you obey the Lord because you obey Daddy. Well, and he understands that. He gets that. Well, recently, the last couple weeks, something kind of curious has happened because now he has caught on to the fact of the primary authority of the Lord And so he has now begun telling Aaron and I that I'm the Lord and I say I can do this. (laughs) I'm the Lord and I can go outside. No, Malachi, you need to stay in. Well, I'm the Lord and the Lord says that I can stay and I can go outside or whatever the case is and whatever he wants. He has begun to say that he is the Lord. And so we have some more work to do in our family (laughs) of Malachi. He is not the Lord, neither are we, but at least he's understanding who's the top dog in the chain of command, I guess. But a curious thing, indeed, a curious thing about our obedience as we teach Kai obedience. As I just read these few verses for you, you may have noticed that repeated word. And as we get into tonight's text, I just want to remind us and to look here briefly at the overarching themes of chapter 6. Because the last two weeks really formed kind of the first half of it, and now we're coming into the second half. Look back at verse 1, and, and uh, you'll see that it begins with a question. What shall we say then? And then verse 15, we see again, what then? And these other questions, are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase from verse 1? And tonight, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? And so both sections begin with a question. Both are met with Paul's resounding, may it never be. And then followed with another question in return and the subsequent proof of his answer. The point here, really, in all of chapter 6, in both sections, the point is really that Christians can't keep on sinning. Christians can't keep on sinning. If the first section really is geared towards the libertine, or those that want to live a licentious life, well, if we know that grace is, will abound to me if I continue in sin, I ought to just keep on sinning. And so the last couple of weeks, we really looked at that, uh, that argument 
And Paul counters that line of thinking really with the charge of, well, you have a greater freedom. Here is true freedom, that you've been set free from sin. And now in verse 15, in the second half, is now he's going to begin addressing really the legalist. The legalist, the one who uh, believes that we need to continue to uh, obey the law and that by obeying the law we earn our righteousness. We earn favor with God. And Paul is going to counter this idea now with the idea of true slavery. What is true slavery uh, for us? The libertine thinks that, well, because of grace, woohoo, now I'm free. I can sin all I want and ask forgiveness later. Paul's counter to that, we saw that true freedom is being set free from sin's power. You're dead to sin. You're united to Christ. You're alive to God. Now that is freedom. And then we continue in the commands that we found in verses 11 through 14. But grace does not lead us to sin. Grace does not lead us to sin. And so, as we, as we saw last week, and we kind of just skimmed over verse 14, Paul makes this interesting statement in verse 14, which is really what leads us into now this, uh, this, these questions in our second section here. Verse 14, he begins to switch focus. We already know the law wasn't meant to make us righteous, right? Look at verse 14. He says, For sin shall not be a master over you, which we know that's the resounding uh, argument of the previous verses. Sin is not our master, for you are not under law, but under grace. And so he's now infused this idea of the law. And we already know that the law was not meant to make us righteous, right? But and we know that the law was given so that we might know what sin is and that it might teach us and might also bring up sin in us so that way God's grace can abound. But we also know what Paul is going to now begin, what we also know is that freedom from the law doesn't open us up and give us license to sin either. Just because we've been set free from the law doesn't mean, well, okay, now we can sin in the same way. And so these Paul, is, he knows that these objections are coming. He's already told us that you've been set free from sin, that you are no longer under the law. And so there's really these two streams. Then we either say, okay, well, I, I, if I continue in sin, grace will abound. And now that I'm set free from, from the law, I can continue to sin and grace will abound in the same way. Because at the heart of each of us, at the heart of each of us, I would submit to you that we're either a libertine or we're a legalist. At the, at the heart of us, we either are given to licentiousness or we're given to legalism. We all tend really to, towards one or the other. Said another way, we're all either bent to follow the rules or break the rules. <laughs> or we, we all are bent into one way. At the, at the core of us, we, we lean one way or another. And really the same was true in Rome, in Paul's day. And that's what he is talking about here. And and I would submit to you that this will be the case in all people for all time until glory. That will all be given to one side or the other. Either bent to following the rules and to perfection in order to earn our righteousness. Or living to break the rules. The rules are made to be broken, right? Or some of us are, are, and our uh, minds think, well, the rules are made so that we can follow them. We need to keep them. 
But Paul's going to, he's, he knows that these things uh, exist. He knows that there are these traditional Jew, these Jewish traditionalists that were so committed to the law. And their argument now was that if, well, if we throw out the law, then sin, immorality, and all kinds of ungodliness will ensue. It'll, cha- it'll chaos. If we throw out the law completely, if, we, if the law is not what saves us, if we don't adhere to the law, then sin and, and chaos will ensue. And really, this attitude is what prevails in the legalists. This attitude prevails in those who hold tight to the rules to look better. To earn righteousness, to earn favor with God and amongst other people, to appear to be righteous, to appear to be holy, to give the outward appearance of upright living. But at the heart, it's just pride and sin. This is that we see this idea in, in the idea that, that the thinking that, well, I don't drink and everyone who else does is a vile, dirty sinner. Well, I'm here at church, but where is so and so? While we're just sitting in here with a bad attitude, judging others and missing the words of grace and life and truth from the word, God's word. And on and, and on and on it goes. And I bet many of us probably maybe even fall into this category. Some of us here maybe even fall more towards, I've said we've already had this bent either one way or the other. And I bet many sitting in here probably are on this side of, of, trying, of using the law as a means for our righteousness and saying, well, we can't get rid of the law because if we do that, then sin and chaos and ungodliness will ensue. And so we have to. And so we hold tightly. We cling to the law. So this is what Paul is addressing here in verse 15. Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Never. May it never be. And so Paul, his answer to this question is in verse 16, what we're going to look at now. His answer to this, shall we sin because we are not under the law? Shall we just continue to sin now that the law is no longer a master over us? Now that the law no longer bears down upon us? Which we know is a misunderstanding anyways as the earning of righteousness. But he's saying, shall we just continue to sin because we're under grace now? And so his answer is maybe a little bit unusual for us. How he answers here may shock us. And so let's look at part one in, in verse 16. Fact number one is that everybody is slave to somebody. Everybody is slave to somebody. Everyone is slave to someone. No one is autonomous. No one is independent. Look what he says here. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Okay? So he's what he's, the idea here is that all of us are slaves to someone or something. Nobody's independent. Nobody's autonomous. No matter how hard you try. No matter how a hermit type of life you want to live. No matter how hard you try to break away and live uh, free from anything else. It's like this, no matter, I mean, how many of us, when we were 18, we wanted to break free from our parents. We felt like we had this yoke of slavery under us. But no matter how hard you tried, no matter how, even with your own bank account, even with your own financial independence, even if you were trying to change your name, even if you were trying to move across the globe, you know, really short of death, you will always be connected to your parents. 
You can never get out from under them, even, no matter how hard you try. But even after, even if, even if they were to die, the, the memories remain, the teachings remain. How many of us remember those phrases and those things that our parents said to us? Those things that they taught us, whether good or bad. But no matter what, we all are, we are all enslaved, we are all a master, we all have a master, no matter how hard we try. No matter how hard the hermit tries to live, it break free from others in the government, living off the grid, remote, no contact, no cell phone, no Wi-Fi, not even a landline. Living without power, maybe some solar power. But you're still a slave because your life is dictated by the choices and the actions of another. Even as you try to live away, government decides one thing, which causes the hermit to move further, to do something. You may be separate, but you're not independent. You may live separately, but you're not independent. And so Paul's point here in answering this question, shall we continue in sin? He's saying, because we've been set free from slavery to the law, because we've been set free from this, then we can continue to live in sin because we're under grace. And Paul's saying, well, that's not the case because we're all slaves to something. Yes, we've been set free from sin, but we're all slave to something. The question now remains, is are you slave to whom or what? You might just, you, you have lost your, you're, you're no longer enslaved to one, but now you have been made slave to another. The allegiance has been transferred, been presented to someone else, been transferred from one master to another. We see this even amongst, even from sinners, even from being, uh, not just the transfer from sin to righteousness, but a, a drug addict might sober up uh, to marijuana and no longer doing drugs, only to take up cigarettes. Well, then he takes those off cigarettes to food and then from food and then they goes to extreme exercise. And yes, there might be a pattern of getting better, but you're still enslaved. You're still a slave to somebody. So the fact is that everybody is a slave to somebody. Second fact that we see here is that slavery depends upon obedience. Slavery depends upon obedience. Did you notice how many times it's repeated in just this question there? In verse 16, we see the obey or obedience three times. Our slavery, we know, depends upon obedience. We see again here this word, that, this idea of presenting yourselves, just like we saw last week. That we present ourselves to bow before, to pledge allegiance to, to commit to, to swear an oath to. And this idea that we come and we obey, we, we present ourselves and we pledge our allegiance. We, we, we bow before. This is like the college fraternity rush. I come and, and I, I'm pledging to you. This is the college football signing day when, when, when uh, high school students come and pledge their obedience to this new team, this institution, this college. It's like signing a work agreement. We come and present ourselves and we say, I will obey the, the agreements. I will work this many hours. I will accept this amount of pay. I will do this job under this job description. We're presenting ourselves. We're obeying. It's like military signing. When you sign up for a branch of the military and you commit to a certain time to obey the rules, to, to follow. And when we do this, we are in effect a slave that person, to that group, to that organization, to that team, that business. 
committing to follow and obey. You're aligning your life to that team. You're committing to think like that team, to do the things of that team, to have in your schedule, to prioritize in your schedule what that team does. Your, your vocabulary changes from we to us. And this might not be a slave in the same way that we would think, as a slave in, a, in, in dire conditions, in, in abusive situations. Maybe not be the slave in the same way, but you're a slave nonetheless because you're obeying, you're aligning your life to this person or this team or this organization. And we know that there's consequences when we don't obey, right? Slavery depends upon our obedience. And there's consequences when we disobey. My result, if an if a, uh, athlete who's committed his life, who's pledged his life, who's presented his life to this, this uh, team might result in the loss of a scholarship or maybe a starting spot or a complete dismissal from the team. Might just If you fail to obey in a job after committing to it, you, you, may, uh, you may lose your job altogether or you may just face a demotion or a dock in pay. The military, you fail to obey, you fail to follow orders, you fail to do what the master says. Loss of rank, you might be reassigned to the mess hall or some other uh, not fun duty, or you may be discharged altogether. And so as we work our way through this, as we see these ideas here, we know then that our slavery depends upon obedience. And again, the question is, well, whom do we obey? As we finish, as we get to the end of this verse then, I'm going to hone in here because now he's, we've seen that the fact that all of us are slaves to somebody. Everybody is slave to somebody. And slavery depends upon obedience. And he's lastly going to give us here the two options for slavery in regards to this idea. Remember the objection of the legalist here? Remember the objection? Well, if we throw out the law, then sin and immorality will ensue. We have to obey and keep the law. Do you remember that, the, the objection? Well, Paul's going to offer a paradox here. Look at how he ends chapter, verse 16. We saw that he said, you know that we're slaves, the one whom you obey. And then here he gives two options, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. And so he's going to offer really a paradox here. He's going to answer this with a paradox because the, we remember the objection. He's saying that if we, well, if we throw out the law, if we don't obey the law, then sin and chaos and immorality is going to ensue. But Paul's, what he's saying here for us is that it is only by being set free from the law and its condemnation through union with Jesus and enslavement to Jesus that we are empowered to do what the law requires. See, the legalist gets this backwards. The legalist gets this idea backwards. They say, well, we must obey the law to become righteous. When God says the righteous become obedient, and here's help. Let me say that again. The the legalist gets this backwards. And maybe in our mind, we get this backwards because we think, well, I must obey the law to become righteous. And Paul's point here, and and we'll look at these two masters in just a second, what he's saying here is that is not the case. The righteous become obedient. Not the obedient become righteous. But the righteous become obedient. 
And so let's look at these, let's just look at these two masters for a second. Here's the first one. You're either enslaved to, your master is either sin resulting in death. And that's not a new concept for us, is it? We've seen this over again. We've seen this in, in chapter 5. So it's, all, it's all been laid out for us. That when you obey sin, when sin is your master, which we were all born into sin like this, this we were all once, if, we, if we're now saved, we were once under sin. And you get death. You die. That's the result. In, in a worldwide epidemic, that death was even introduced, but also to you personally. So we've got to ask the question, well, what kind of death is Paul speaking of here? That if we sin, then are we, is this a physical death? That we sin and we're dead on the spot, that God kills us. Well, probably not that's the kind of death. Although in the Bible it does talk about physical death in this manner. But is it, is it talking about eternal separation from God? This kind of death. When you sin, you are separated from God. Or is this talking about a moral corruption of the believer, the hardening these are really the three kind of categories of death that the Bible speaks of. Just in different contexts, all throughout it. Either physical death, eternal separation from God, or a moral hardening, a moral corrupting of the believer. And so in this context, what is he talking about here? Is he, is he talking about a moral corruption? Maybe he's talking to believers. You know, in verse 15, he's saying, shall we sin? Speaking of, of uh, you know, uh, the Roman believers there. But I don't, I don't necessarily think that's what he's speaking of, particularly because of what he's going to talk about in verse 23 later, which we'll see in a couple weeks here. But he's most likely here talking about the eternal separation from God and, and pitting that against what, uh, the, the second master here. And so he's saying, we, and we know this, it's, it's just good to refresh our minds to think about here, um, who's he speaking to, but he's, but he's saying here that when we are enslaved to sin, the result is death, eternal separation from God. If you, if you continue in sin, if, if you reach death and you die and sin is your master, you will be eternally separated from God. And so that's one master here. That's one master that we know. It's not a contingent. Believers aren't... Uh, you know, we're, we've been set free from that. We're on the other side of the wall. We have a new representative. But here, look at the other master. He's talking about here, everybody's a slave of somebody. Here's your two options. You're either a slave of sin or you're a slave of, we would want, we would think that it would, should say Christ, right? But he, begin, he, he, he tells us here, or of obedience resulting in righteousness. And so this should throw us for a loop, shouldn't it? Taken out of context, this, should, this, this can be very dangerous. And it should rub us the wrong way. Because haven't we seen all along that wait, our obedience doesn't lead to, doesn't result in righteousness. And so what are you speaking of here, Paul? Well, let's remind ourselves. What have we learned up to this point? Because okay? ultimately this can play to the legalist thinking. And that's why this is a paradox. That's why this is, this is confounding to the legalist who thinks that righteousness does, or obedience does lead to righteousness. But he's talking about our slavery. And so as we, that's why we have to look at the whole of Scripture. We have to see the argument that we've walked along and Paul's, uh, uh, what he's taught us up until this point. Because can our obedience earn us righteousness? Well, he's already taken that, he's already spent three chapters wiping that argument away. Rather, he's told us we are all unrighteous, Right? We're all unrighteous. We're all sinful. We're all apart from God. None of us can earn our righteousness. 
So who earned and accomplished our righteousness? Jesus did. Jesus earned and accomplished our righteousness. Our righteousness in a legal, forensic sense. Our righteousness, our righteous standing before God the Father as our judge. This act here, Christ's act of of obedience, freed us from sin's penalty and power. We've, we've been learning this. And that subsequently has earned us, enabled us, the ability to say no to sin and yes to godliness. That then is the obedience then which results in righteousness in a moral sense. You see, we are set free for obedience, not because of it. We are set free for obedience. We've been enslaved now to God. We've been joined to God and, and united to Christ. And so now this obedience is what we have been set free to, not because of us. And so here's, here's the beauty, is that you and I, beloved, those of us who, are, who stand righteous, those of us who have been made righteous in a moral, legal, forensic sense, that we stand now, then we obey God as the joy of the liberated and not as the burden of the dutiful. Let me say that again because I think this is so powerful. We stand righteous now. And so we obey as the joy of the liberated, as those who've been set free. And not, we don't obey God as the burden of the dutiful, having to earn our righteousness. And yet we now get to, it is our joy to obey the law. It is our joy to follow God's commandments. It is our joy to live in such a way that is making us morally righteous. That is increasing this righteousness in us as we live it out. This, beloved, is the gospel, isn't it? This is the gospel that we've been set free, that we couldn't earn it. And yet we've been declared righteous. And because of, our, of that declaration in our life, we've now been set free to obey. What the legalists, what those apart from Christ, what the, the Jewish traditionalists seek to do is to earn and earn and work and work and work and work in order to obey enough, in order to have earned this righteousness, to present it all to God. And God says that's not how it works. That's not how it works. You have been set free from sin. You have been declared righteous. And now you can obey as your joy, not as your burden. And so we, beloved, we, we, we can walk in joy. We can follow God's commandments because it's for our benefit and for our good. Not because we have to or because we must in order to make it. This is the gospel. Repent and believe it. And so as we, as we think about this, we, we might say then here, justification by faith, sanctification by obedience. And now, now hear me what I say. Hear me correctly. I'm not, what I'm not saying in that, you know, we have the mantra of justification by faith alone. And we might say sanctification by obedience. But what I'm not saying is that we get in by faith and that we stay in by obedience. That's really a lie from hell. But I think it's probably pervasive amongst mon- many of our thinkings. Well, I've gotten in by faith. Okay, I got in here. But now in order to stay in, in order to keep in, in order to, in order to maintain this, this standing in which I have, I must obey in order to, to, uh, to, to, to keep my, my spot in, on the team. You know, okay, I've been drafted for the team, but now I've got to perform in order to stay on or I'm going to get kicked off the team. Beloved, that's just simply not how it works. 
That's not how grace works. God's grace and our salvation is from first to last. Obedience is, is the very essence of belief, is how we live it out. But we've been given grace to live now, to obey now, to fight sin now, to live in a way that honors God in this life, to, free from, to flee from sin and walk obediently. We've been given grace to become what we are. We've been given grace to walk as we stand. This is the essence of life. This is how we live. This is how we confront sin. This is how when sin rears its ugly face, we don't have to obey in order to, because if we don't, we're going to lose out or we're going to, we're going to uh, lose favor with God in, in, in regards to our righteousness. In, a, in, in, in regards to his declaration of our righteousness. And that's, that's not how it works. I want us to know tonight, I want us to feel the weight of grace tonight. I want us to, to I want us the, the weight of, of the burden of keeping the law, the burden of obedience to be removed and to be set free to walk in grace. To let that lift you to let that motivate you, to let that fuel you in how you live and how you confront sin and how you say no to sin and yes to righteousness because you've been given grace to do so. We did not receive what we deserve, beloved, those of us who've been saved. And so we get to live now the joy of the redeemed to celebrate this. And so as we, as we think about this as well, as, as we think, well, what, how do I obey? How do I live in this way? How am I, how am I going to, who, who am I this slave of? How am I going to walk? How will obedience be my master resulting in righteousness? Well, in all this, I, I would submit to you as we even think about last week, what is our most challenging act of obedience in our life? What is the most challenging act of obedience? I've been meditating on this, uh, this past week. Because I, I hear all the time, you know, give us something to do. Let, I want to do something. You know, if I, if, in a message or in, in, in life, if we just have these things to do, then, then I, that's what I need. Just tell me what to do and I'll live and I'll do it that way. And there's, there's some merit to that. And I, and I understand that. It's easy. It's action points. And, and, and it's easy to do. But I think the most difficult act of obedience that you and I have in our life is what we saw last week in verse 11, to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. This is our most challenging act. This is our, to, to consider, to believe yourself this way. This is the, the, the challenge. This is what we need to wake up every morning thinking about. This is what we need to, to, to really come to fully understand. And this motivates then our life. This motivates our enslavement. This motivates then our obedience. Do you consider yourself a slave to sin or a slave to obedience? Do you consider yourself alive to God or alive to sin? Whose slave are you? We're all a slave to somebody, we all obey somebody. It's the lingering question here that Paul wants us to wrestle with. Is whose slave are you? 
Whom do you obey? Who commands your life? Whom do you bow before? Whose will do you follow? Who do you trust and obey? Is your life marked more by sin or by obedience? Begin asking that question. What is the prevailing pattern of my life? One of sin or one of obedience to God? (coughs) Choose this day whom you will trust and whom you will obey. Bow with me in prayer. Father in heaven, this is the resounding question, really, that all men must answer. Whom do you obey? Whose slave are you? Whom do we say that Jesus is? That's really the resounding question, God, for us all. I pray that you, by your Spirit, would help us to consider those things, to become what we are, walk like we stand that it would be our joy to obey help us to really consider these things to wrestle with you I pray that for those who love you tonight that it would be our joy to obey you but we need your help God thank you that you have given us help in your spirit we pray these things in Christ's name